later on in the morning, this flock comes back and I say blue Ross and they come over us and Dylan decides that he didn't hear me call the bird. So it was wink, wink. It was his bird. (laughs) So he jumps up and shoots and I'm just like, you. Hi, welcome to the DSD Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Cochran, with my co-host, Dave Smith. And on today's episode, we have Dylan and Jonathan White, the White Brothers from Central California. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you bet. No problem. And I am fresh back from a five-day trip with you guys uh, last week, the last five days of the season. Had a blast, like always. Got to shoot that variety of geese you guys have down there which is so cool snows ross uh specs and illusions just had a blast and um i always learn a lot when i'm down there hunting with you guys uh i just the the way you guys can call it those geese down there really impresses me and and not to mention you guys are are so good at hiding from those birds down there um and, and they're not easy. You're down on the wintering grounds. You know, by the time birds get get down to you guys, you're at the very bottom of the Pacific Flyway, basically. Your birds are there, and you don't get fresh birds. And so I think you guys are um, unique in that you're in an area where um, you really need to pull a lot of tricks out of your, out of your bag to be successful. Um, so tell us a little bit about hunting. We, we want to talk mostly about white geese. With you guys, um, it, it seems almost fortuitous, I guess, that your last name is White. It's like you're <laughs> destined to be white goose hunters. So um, give us a rundown of, you know, what, what it is, what you feel like makes you successful hunting snows and roskies. Yeah, the um, I guess just we were forced to have to figure it out um, back in the day. I mean, you listen to old timers talk. Oh, we just threw out white bags and white this and that and it worked. And when we were kids, it, it worked great. And then as things started changing and, um, you either adapt or you, well, you know, it just doesn't, you have to adapt and find a way to do it. So, um, we were forced to start figuring out what the heck we were doing to get birds in close. And, um, kind of like you guys, our game is not to shoot birds flying by or get them close enough. I mean, we really want to get them in and, um, it's really forced us to, explore some different avenues yeah i mean we were kind of forced to start hunting geese when our duck numbers just depleted that's what when we were kids that's all we hunted was geese or ducks or ducks sorry and then uh then our goose numbers started going up and duck numbers went down we had a drought and couldn't then, afford to pump water started chasing geese yeah exactly and the and the goose limit started going up it used to be three and two darks when we were little and then they started raising it so we just started chasing geese and we've we've been doing that ever since what what kind of tactics and what kind of decoys did you guys start out with and like at the very very beginning of this evolution (laughs) well well, we used to take 50 gallon drums of roundup whatever chemical the ranch was using and we'd cut out silhouettes and paint a black x on the tail with tar and um, my dad found some little 2d silhouette heads on in a magazine or something we didn't have internet then. So this is um, mid or like mid-90s. And um, we were just a huge winning ground for Ross geese. 
And in the that was back when we had fog, and we had finally one day he bought twelve uh, G and H shells, and that was like the most realistic thing we had ever seen at that point. Yeah, those had to be right in the center of the hole. Those were those were what were going to kill the birds. <laughs> those were in the kill hole. <laughs> right, right in the middle of the paper plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. So then that progressed to uh, some carry, cheaper carry light shells. I think we ended up with like fifty of them. And we had some. Uh, what were the the specs? Oh, the shells. old. Um, what were what brand? We were had those? the old silhouettes. The very first silhouettes. We had a couple. Oh, we did have those too. Yeah. Uh, Outlaw. Or- I think they were outlaw. I think they or were outlaw. Yeah, and then those just went into the storage bin. We were, I mean, we were duck hunters, and then in high school, it was like, oh damn, we could shoot six Roskies now. Let's go find the old decoys, and we did. And then the Roskies started getting smarter, and we started having to up our game. Then we went and to what, socks. What kind of high did you guys is? We'd hunt. Uh, bulrushes and we'd brush our blinds in all green grass and then we'd dig up bulrushes and hide ourselves and yeah. with, uh, with layout blinds or yeah with layout blinds mostly oh, okay. yeah as much as we can we go layout blinds and we the weather in california is not wet up until christmas so it really limits where you can hide because our green grass comes up and it's two inches tall and you cannot hide a layout blind no we've yeah. tried does and not it work. just um, our terrain is not conducive to layout blind hunting, but it's the only way to hide. So you got to find a way to do it. Green grass is the best. Yeah, green grass hides. Brad's been on some good green grass hide hunts. It takes two hours to brush, but it just there's something with the lighting and something about it. The geese are not. Um, they're they not paid attention to. Yeah, it. they're not as skittish to it. That's for dang sure. Nice. Yeah. So then, what was your? introduction to a first first full ball full, full body decoy uh we had, we had the the greenhead gear specs the original greenhead gear specs were our first we had 18 of those remember when those first came out in like a cabela's magazine and it was like the newest thing since sliced bread on a mass scale <laughs> and everyone was hot and bothered with them and we bought them nice. yeah, and we didn't kill we didn't a kill damn them. thing over them yeah <laughs> <laughs> we and paid it, you guys to say that no, no. This, I mean, this is back in the day but it was from what we had from what we had they just they looked great and then um it was just yeah and we weren't hiding i mean we hadn't been hunting them for very long a couple of years and we weren't hiding as well and figuring those kind of things and when to call when not to call getting better at calling all that stuff too but it was tough and we had plenty of failures early on and finally, we got online and found Dave Smith decoys, and um, we scraped. I mean, this is back when we made ten grand a year each in college. We scraped up some money and bought a few dozen. We bought six dozen specs. And um, boy, that was a it was just a game changer. I mean, all of a sudden, we were landing tornadoes of specs like snow geese. I mean, it was it was just insane. Yeah, it changed it for sure. Yeah, and by the way, I was just kidding. We didn't actually pay you guys to say that. I was gonna say I didn't see my the chance. other decoys <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> we'll send the contracts over for that for saying that. that right. Was okay. Cool. Hmm. And that was exactly the way we wrote it. So you read it perfectly. Perfect. Good. Awesome. Yeah, we've been through a lot of decoys, and we did. We had our little spell with socks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did do that. Worked cool for a little while, and then it just it petered out real quick. Well, that was when then we were like the first ones to have socks around here. And then everybody and their mom wanted to be a snow goose hunter. 
because the limits are so liberal here now and everybody had two to 300 socks. Well, the geese just got real skittish to sock spreads. Within two years, the socks stopped, stopped working and we can't use e-collars here. So that, I think that adds another element uh-huh. to the challenge because you can't, you has to, everything has to be absolutely perfect or yeah. else you're not going to get them. Uh-huh. You're not going to get them close. I mean, guys are still shooting snows, but they're not landing mature white snows. So mm-hmm. for you guys, you know, for you guys to get to this point right now, you guys have a great reputation. As long as you don't blow it in the next couple of years, you guys have an awesome <laughs> reputation for, uh, for, you know, kind of being ahead of, of being ahead of ever, everyone else, being ahead of everyone around you. Um, and I hope, I hope, I don't really mean literally everyone, but as far as I know, anyways. Um, so you guys had to have done a lot of like experimenting and had a lot of like failed experiments and stuff like that. I know you guys are really, really good callers and, that just is a matter of having a little bit of natural talent and then also just putting in lots and lots and lots of time. And that's something that, you know, and anyone can put in the time calling, but did you guys have a lot of experimentation a lot of things that you tried that just didn't work and you, you kind of went a different direction, maybe got discouraged at yeah. times or whatever? Oh yeah. There's plenty of discouraging times and humbling times. <laughs> put out 600 socks and don't kill a goose two days in a row or something like that. Yeah. We had some, Real tough times. But the thing I with hunting, you when you do really good, you think everything works and you never get better. It's the when you fail at a goose hunt, you start figuring out what you're doing and what to do different. And we both have pretty good memories. We'll point out in the morning. We start setting up like, well, that didn't work two years ago. We let's not do that again because it didn't work. And yeah. We've tried it since then. When you get your butt kicked, you uh, you remember it. Yeah. So that's I mean our, our failures have really led us to where we're at now, and we've had. We still have plenty of failures. Yeah, we we damn near failed the other on Sunday. I mean, you just, but you got to keep trying things. And I actually have a new snow goose spread in my head that I want to try. Just, I'm gonna, I don't know what it's gonna do. Brad, he's putting might. the decoys out. He's gonna put them out like 400 yards in the field so they land out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's uh, not it. Dylan, do you want to tell that story from what? That was uh, Saturday, right? That was Saturday, and we. So we were set up. We had a really, really cool spread out. We had a, a good hide. And Jonathan went to scout and look for some stuff. Uh, we had some birds go land about a half mile from us, so we bumped them. And then uh, he went and checked some other fields that we could hunt out there. <laughs> and so me and Brad and we had a couple other buddies with us. We were getting a couple of small bu- uh, bunches of specks to work in, and they'd land right in the specks in the middle of the snow spread. And they worked perfect. And we'd probably scrape, oh, we had, what, about 20 specs by the time Jonathan got back? Oh, at least, yeah. <laughs> and Jonathan gets back and goes, hey, we, we had one flock of specs when he got back, not do it quite right, and then wanted to land off the spread. And uh, and so he's like, we got to move some of these snows out of the hole. And we're like, I'm like, I'm not moving a thing. You could move them if you want to. So he moves some snows out, uh, I don't know, probably 60 yards. <laughs> and the next, next group of specs that comes in. They land on the other side of them. We had to shoot them at 65. And we had to, we harassed him about that. I the should rest have gone out day. a little further and they would have landed inside of them. Or out <laughs> over the middle of the field. <laughs> Usually the spec decoys pull them into yeah. the spec decoys like they did on Thursday in that storm. But oh, so. God. We could have yeah. shot hundreds of specs that day. And yeah. I mean, when I say hundreds, I mean trying to land at 20 yards, hundreds. Yes. Hmm. when yeah. you have those days it's i really hate the liberal limits in california because uh it just pressures the birds so much but on the days that you can 
when you hit it right and you could keep killing specs at 15, 20 yards, I wish the limit was higher. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I was telling Dave that it has left such an impression on me that, um, I've been so impressed with you guys is your ability to call. And there's a lot of guys out there these days, maybe not so much, um, on, on uh, spec and snow goose calls, but on honker calls that have mastered the control of the call. And you guys have certainly done that on your spec and snow goose calls, but you guys also are really, really good at reading birds and knowing when to call and when not to call. How many years have you been doing it? And, um, yeah, I'll just elaborate on that if you would. Well, we've been hunting geese since we were, what, 17, 18? So about seriously, 13 years. Yeah, seriously since 13 we were years like... and about the first six years we got, especially with specs, learning when to call on specs, uh, we'd get humbled quite often. Because you'd yodel or cluck, and Jonathan's been better at uh, goose calling than I have for a while. But we'd try quiet, you'd do this and try different things, and they'd always get out. You know, and they would flare. You see their necks, like, wheel around and you just they make eye contact with you in the layout blind and then as they make that pass they just turn and look right at you and you see their big old neck turn and then they flare and they make that that's, and you're like that squealing sound yes too. yes that's, and, and you go well i won't do that again so yeah. really i mean we flare i mean we still do it we flare so many little flocks of specs that are close that it's forced us to learn where to get away with calling them and it still doesn't work sometimes but Anytime you can call without them being able to look at you right away and you get a little bit of sound out there before they can look and then shut up that way when they do look, they're not looking right at you. Cause if you keep doing it, they're going to keep looking for you. And then once they pinpoint that sound, they're, they're you, out. You can't cluck specs all the way in. They, that does not work. Down Unless here. it's windy. It doesn't work. Yeah. I was going to uh, say Thursday when it was really windy, Jonathan, you were calling those birds. They were damn near right over the top of us, all the way down into the yeah. decoys. It was like, and it was like you had to stay on them. If you lay off them in the wind, they'll go sit off the spread, and um, then I might as well have decoys out at 120 yards. <laughs> but on a on a calm sunny day like on Saturday, you you kind of really have to let them find where they want to go, or else you can flare them out. But on a windy day, yeah, you you can kind of let them work, and then when they get off track, you just give them a little something to pull them back online. They get back off, you pull them back, and then sometimes you do have to finish them all the way down. But um, for the most part, we don't have weather like that. So you really have to call yeah. quietly. And that I don't know, what was that, probably six or seven years ago when I took my brother, well, took Mike out. Yeah. And I had jumped since there's about, I don't know, a couple thousand specs where I wanted to hunt. And they went and landed, I don't know, 400 yards from between where I was hunting and the refuge. So I obviously didn't have a good day hunting because they were stopping everything short. But I went over and I got down in the ditch and I was listening to him and the, the, the couple thousand specks on the ground didn't make a sound when the geese were coming. It was always the geese in the air making the noise. And every now and then you hear a little cluck or a little low, low ground sounds. But uh, they weren't clucking and yodeling because it's not a when they're on native, they're not it's not a feed. It's not a grind. They're just out there picking up green grass and it's not a real fight for food. And that kind of changed it too. We started calling less and doing lower ground sounds and little clucks and stuff like that. And it really changed the way hunting specs. Uh, yeah, we really only yodel now to get their attention way out. But Once they're online, pretty much stop the yodeling. And then you yeah, got to think about 
every speck coming down from Canada, all they hear the entire way is, ha ha, ha ha. Every refuse, they fly over everything. Everywhere they go, they hear that. So you yeah, got to switch it up on them. I, I've noticed... I've noticed that you guys do a lot of clucking. Mm-hmm. That sounds really cool. And they seem to respond to that. Yeah. And it takes them a long time to get down. Specs are so slow. They work so slow. Mm-hmm. And then and then when they do commit, then they'll fall straight in. And the other but thing it takes was, forever. I mean, you know, you guys know this even in Oregon with your geese there. You have to be patient and trust that the decoys are gonna work. You gotta trust that your hide's gonna work. If those geese get to 40, 50 yards and they haven't flared yet, you're probably okay. It's probably not the hide. If they don't come in at that point, it, they may just not want to come in. You know, they're still live animals, but you just have to be patient. And guys ask, you know, how do you get birds to land? It's like, you just have to trust it. Just just wait. Get, just let them, let them do it. Let them, if the sooner you pull up and shoot, the less time they have to finish. And if you just let them do it, they will come down. No, you're right. And a perfect example of that were the guys that we took out on Thursday, you know, mm-hmm. novice hunters who are, you can tell, are used to shooting as soon as a goose gets within 80 yards. They're blazing. And those guys are like, are we going to shoot? 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 You know, and they're talking about shooting a bit ranges where you might scratch a bird or two down for your yeah. group of five. But you're going to have to be willing to pass up flocks like that and lose them yeah in order to get that bunch that's going to commit and give you that belly up 20 yard shot where you just wipe them all out you know yeah. and that's just so much more rewarding and so much yeah. more fun doing it that way not to mention you don't have to chase as many cripples down yeah it's more efficient with ammo yeah you're not educating birds <laughs> uh, educating birds is another big thing that guys do yeah just mm-hmm. sky busting them just you know, if you can get a flock in and kill more of them, rather than shooting at five flocks flying over for the same number of birds, you've educated uh, a whole lot less of them. Yeah. And when you're when you're hunting resident geese like we have that don't really trade in and out, it you have to start doing stuff like that. Plus, back yeah. in the day, we were poor, so we couldn't buy shells all the time. So we had to really limit our shooting too. So. Get them close enough to throw rocks at them. Yeah. yeah. Or catch yeah, them could, by hand is always good. You could take two or three out in a shot, and that's pretty good. <laughs> hmm. Okay, well, so talk to us about calling snows and Roskies now. Oh, that's gosh. a whole nother deal, because you cannot... Um, I feel like I'm hogging the podcast, but I really they, do most of the goose calling. Yeah. If we go duck hunt, Dylan calls. If we goose hunt... I do more of the calling, I guess. But. Well, when we first started hunting geese, I filmed most of it for the first five years. So when it comes to calling, I'm about five years behind on stuff that Jonathan's been doing for a oh, lot longer. And I don't practice like Jonathan did back in the day because I hate goose calling. I'll do it to kill specs, but I hate goose calling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to the snow geese calling. Um, yeah, you, you cannot mimic live snow geese on the ground. If you have 200 decoys 300 decoys you know we'll get to the spread size here in a bit but um you cannot physically sound like that many birds it's no. just not gonna happen so you have to just sound like one or two comfortable century snow geese out there just letting everyone know that it's safe that's kind of the i guess the viewpoint that we take um so we do those it's called a bark um you know, I'll do the I'll do the the flight sounds, you know, to kind of get them 
turned or, you know, I mean, those snow goose calls are loud. You can, you can turn them from a ways out. And as long as the sun is at their back, they can see those white decoys on the horizon. And, um, but as they get close, it's just like, just like specks, just like mallards, really, you know, you want to work them on the corners where they're not looking at you. Cause if you murmur, they pick it out. If you bark at them too loud and they're too close, they flare. So like on the corners, you know, call down into your blind, keep it kind of quiet. And um, you just want to bark at them, you know, keep it calm. You know, you don't want to sound too excited. You just want it to sound lifelike and you get them to turn. Once they turn, let them do it. And you got to read them too. If they get um, if they get off, if they turn and come over, but then they leave again, you know, hit them again. Um, you got to read them. And sometimes they want to hear some of these, some of the snows we call in don't care. Yeah. Some they of them want to hear calling all the way down and then they'll come right in. And if every time you call, they, you know, you see it really, really bad on the juvies where they just drop their feet crunch their neck back and fall straight down. And then every time you bark, they do it again. They do it again. And if they're doing that, keep doing it. But if they start lifting or pulling off, then just back off when you're calling. But that's kind of the, you just got to, you just have to watch them and learn. And, you know, when, when they flare on one thing, don't do it again. Yeah. And when you get that juvie or a couple of juvies interested, get them in and don't shoot at them when they're closed, let them land. Because then they'll usually pull their adult parents down, and then that's when you get then you get the whole flock to come. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah, juvies juvies do get a lot of their friends killed. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of what kind of what we had here in the valley with dark geese. Um, you know, a whole bunch of new uh, geese showing up or a new opportunity, and nobody else around really. You know, uh, paving the way, and so you guys kind of had to you guys had to figure it out. You couldn't just go online. And, you know, you know, follow some, some protocol on how to, how to do this. And you had to just do it the hard way. And that's, that's kind of fun. I, I just love anything in hunting and fishing like that. And when you're talking about, um, you're talking about, you know, when you're putting out decoys and all of a sudden you remember two years ago, um, we did this and it didn't work. It's, it's funny how hunters are and like the, the very best hunters and fishermen, you know, our memory is so, so good when it comes to, you know, what methods worked and little details of a hunt from, you know, two or five or 10 years ago. But, you know, half the time we can't remember our, our daughter's birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like, I don't know why, but uh, we were talking about it the other day about how we wish we could do every spread that has worked every time and do exactly what we did and make it work again. And it usually doesn't. And though. I don't think there's never been a decoy spread that looked like one that we've done in the future or in the past. They're always a little, they're always something different. And it's like we get to a situation, look at it, put the decoys out and we're like, all right, this is cool. Um, it looks nothing like what we've done before, but they're the one thing we do remember is what, what failed. Yeah. That's we'll keep trying different things. But the one thing we do remember is what didn't work. So as much as our spreads always keep looking different, um, they definitely never look like what didn't work. You know what I'm what I'm guilty of is uh, finding something that works and then changing <laughs> changing it. You oh, know, hey, like, I know. Yeah. I know a guy like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing you know, when it works, it's like, what if it worked better? Yeah, exactly. Well, so why not try it? Right? I yeah. I mean, specs at twenty twenty five yards is just sucks. Well, know, big old orange feeder like, out coming in. Yeah, I know. You know when they're. Yeah, you know, you're about shooting the de- when you're almost shooting the decoys, and you're at 20 yards, and they're just their orange feet are touching the ground. But if you can get them to 10, you know, right? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, 
I don't know. Well, I, just, I don't have to shoot him. I just want to see how close <laughs> I can get him. I love giving you shit. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of orange feet. Oh, oh. yes. Uh huh. Say it. We need feet on decoys. We've been saying we want orange feet on decoys for I don't know since probably we've had them. We need orange feet. Tell them and about we, your drone footage. Yeah the um, the one thing you see when you get close to birds on the ground is their feet, especially Specs' feet. Holy smoke! And I was orange. surprised at how much the snow's pink feet stand out too. I really was. I was, I was actually I, even the Aleutians. I the black feet in a green field and brown dirt. I you, it was amazing how much feet stick out. When you get below it. 30 yards, it is clear as day that there's big, bright orange, pink, and black feet there. Yeah. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. And, like, even when we were making the first Canada goose decoys, I, that was one of the things I was just obsessed with is, like, looking at a Canada goose and how much of that total body is not just leg but foot, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a large foot. And then, you know, some of the issues that we've had are besides, you know, molding and casting, and that's a pretty – intricate part with a lot of angles and stuff like that but um you know how to work in a motion system and stuff but i have i have some ideas that i think that i think will work so cool. we'll definitely take that into consideration that'd be really fun to do that i just i don't want to do i know what some some people have done is they'll put a full foot on the on the the leg and then they'll have the decoy kind of suspended like it's you know levitating um, you know, eight inches above the ground. I don't want to do that, but I, I do have some other ideas that we might be able well, to incorporate that. That's a lot of people don't push their stakes far enough in. No, we put ours yeah. to where like the new snows have the legs hanging and yeah. we put them to where the, that if they did have a foot, it's on the ground. Yeah, that's perfect. And you know, that that's a, the, the higher you leave your stakes, the more, uh, you know, room for error you have because if yeah, it hangs yeah. off a little bit then it just it's, it's you know it's compounded the higher the decoy is yeah i, I think that's a big key to landing I, geese i think you guys need to come up with a 36 inch stake <laughs> mm. they're, they're actually a lot easier to pick up if you yeah you don't have to bend over as far to pick them up that's a good point <laughs> we had one yeah. field that was really hard it was dry as hell uh, oh, gosh, we could tough. not get the stakes in it was taking forever so a lot of them did not go in, but luckily we we're in a super clumpy pasture to where it really hid that the decoys were six to eight inches higher than we wanted. Yeah. And um, it really didn't matter there because of the clumps, but um, picking them up was awfully nice because my lower yeah. back was. <laughs> sore. Yeah. So I get the 36 inch stakes. <laughs> I said 48. Oh, there yeah, you go. People right. walk right through and waist high at that point. Yes, we've I'll had like it. we've had customers throughout. I mean, throughout the, the last couple of decades, that would say, you know, I, I I've heard so much about your decoys, and I've heard that they work so much better, and I finally bit the bullet, and you know, it just didn't seem to make much difference. And then they send us a picture of their spreads, and they're barely putting the stakes in the ground, and at really really bad angles, and that that's just that's just the start of the problems. And it's you, yeah, you know, they have to be straight. There's nothing yeah, better than a sentry looking up into the sky. They're not setting up comorants and stuff in the field. <laughs> yeah. Well, even for that matter, yeah, there was, <laughs> speaking of the sentry looking up into the sky, yeah, there was a, a taxidermist not too long ago that, that mounted a bird, and uh, and it was actually a snow goose. And uh, I was, you know, people were kind of looking at it going, oh, that's an interesting pose. And they're like, well, what's it doing? And he's like, well, it's looking up at the sky, <laughs> not realizing that that's not how a goose looks up. 
you know. No, no. Like, unless they're barking at geese coming in, they're not yeah, looking up. Exactly. Yeah. If anything, they stand perfectly straight and they tilt their head to the side. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's um, do you guys do you ever put like, you know, seagull de- seagull or crow decoys or anything out like way way on the outside of your spread to keep birds from landing long or do you or or do you know you put those decoys out there they'll if you want them to land long you just put decoys out you there. put them out 100 Jonathan's good at that they'll, they'll <laughs> land long on you oh yeah there and you know the he makes fun of me but geese will normally come to the center mass so if in my mind if you have decoys all around, I don't care. They're no, gonna and, and the it, wasn't that it wasn't gonna, not going to work because if we've had it work in the past, I just like giving you crap about it because the one flock did land out there. They did, and you're gonna, and that's the thing. You're going to have it happen where some geese shortstop you. It's going to happen. But there's been countless times that those specks would have pushed right over those snows and landed and get. We just he wanted to give them a little more room to land is all he wanted. I knew what he was doing. I just didn't feel like moving decoys. The um, I. I don't know. I guess we have flagged fields before to keep geese from landing, but it works on cheat geese, uh, snows and specks. If you put bags in a field, they just land between them. They either will land and not care, or they'll flare and leave the area entirely. But sure. getting back, getting back to your question, we do put out cranes every now and then for confidence decoys. Right, we do have some of those. I don't know if it works or not, but I like them. When they're in the field and there's a couple cranes around, we'll throw them out just for the heck of it. I think they look cool. Yeah. And is it cranes or herons? Sandhills. Sandhill cranes. Oh, nice. And you and you guys have you guys have some around? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's That's a lot down there. Yeah. Wish, there's cranes everywhere down. down here. So, will you ever have a season for sandhill cranes? Doubtful. Um, depends I doubt it. if Dominion takes over the regulation booklet. We might. <laughs> we can make our own yeah. rules at that point. Dave, yeah, that... you're you're talking about a state that just outlawed bear hunting. So. Uh, I don't think California's there. And the people but, love the cranes. There's a Sandhill Crane Festival. There's all kinds of stuff about them down here. Yeah. I'm surprised it's even legal to shoot those pretty geese. I am too. Yeah, me too. I don't start blackmailing us, Dred. They might start trying to take geese hunting away. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're... Um, this is kind of a funny subject right now because we just we keep getting uh all our decoys rejected from facebook because because they think we're selling animals yeah it's like it's really bad and then and then they um they'll have it board reviewed and come to the conclusion that well we've checked it all out and we've decided that yes you're selling animals <laughs> oh my gosh they're they're fake they're plastic uh, yeah yeah they, they haven't grasped that uh but you know like someone pointed out like it's it's probably some you know like bunny hugger that is rep- constantly reporting it making that their mission in life you know mm-hmm. to just constantly report it and stuff and so yeah it's probably from somebody that's you know the same type of people that don't want crane hunting and probably will go after goose hunting at some point mm-hmm the best thing we have going for us as goose hunters is the fact that our farmers hate geese. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And they're destroying the tundra. So that also helps us in the oh, cause. Yeah. Hashtag save the tundra. <laughs> it's really, really yes. hard to convince people of that though. Like the idea that, that they'll, you know, that they'll eat themselves out of house, house and home and end up, you know, causing a population crash. Like most of the people just that are against hunting and stuff, they're just thinking with their emotion and they're not stopping and using logic and following I'm through next- that next step of logic you know 
I'm kind of waiting for them to eat themselves out of house and home and have a population crash and just drop the limit a little bit. So the hunting pressure isn't so persistent on them. Yeah. Like I don't want them to all die. I, I mean, I want geese obviously, but I think the, the limits in California make the goose hunting so much God. harder. 30 birds a day, you get 20 whites and 10 darks. This is crazy. Guys stay out all day, every day over the same spreads and they just keep pressuring birds. Well, we, won't our... even hunt, we won't even hunt the same field all day unless it's a storm and they're moving in from somewhere else. We will pick up and move or just pick up and go home. Oh, wow. You, yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't, it's never worked. Well, Oregon is about to liberal, liberalize our, our seasons pretty dramatically for snows and specs. And, oh. and one of the things that really killed our our valley goose hunting, like for Brad and I, I mean, is is liberalize the seasons. Like we we used to have mm-hmm. goose hunting three days a week, and you had to check in every bird. Mm-hmm. And now oh, it's seven awesome. days a week; you don't have to check in any birds. And it's and now it's just uh, you know, our, our geese hang out inside city limits, and yeah, they go to. It doesn't, it doesn't get rid of any more geese. No, it just keeps them in areas where you can't hunt them. Yeah, and actually, the the farmers actually like that, so it's really really hard to get get any of that changed, you know. Yeah. Yep, it's hard to argue against against that point. But from a hunting standpoint, we were killing more birds back when we could only hunt Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday than we are now that we can kill seven or we can hunt seven days a week, and it's because every Wednesday and every Saturday you had birds that were rested for you know, at least two days. And then even Sunday, um, more often than not, you could, you could find a good shoot. So it's changed a lot. Like these poor geese in California. I mean, they, every second or third rice check has a blind, a blind and socks and they stay out all year and they know what's going on. I, I, and that's the other, like what we're going to talk about spread size. I, I think it's kind of a challenge when you hunt over small spreads now, because there's so many people, that leave out 150 decoys. I think the geese recognize that this, the that, size of that spread. that size. They don't they don't care if it's real or not. They don't care where it's at. They see that size of a white something, and it I think it clues them in. And we move our spreads around quite often. We'll run all of our snows. Some days we'll run one bag of snows. Some days we'll run eight snows with all the specs. We just try to switch it up on them to not let them see the same spread every single day. One of the Every most time we hunt. frustrating things is having Roskies come. They come across a half mile. They're on a line. They're dropping down 200 yards out from the decoys. They're 30 yards off the ground. And then by 150 yards, they flared up to 80. And they aren't even near what's going on. And they, they're gone. They don't even come over the decoys. You know, it's like, yeah, what just happened and how do we fix that? That's the hardest mm-hmm. part. Those Roskies, they, they don't decoy. I mean, we did educate them for a while there uh, but at this point now until we get snows lessers to come in and land the roskies don't even work and i, I have no idea how to fix uh, birds flaring at 200 yards yeah yeah that's because that's caused by all the people around you mostly that's all i could think of i mean how else i mean all, all i could think of is that they're recognizing the imprint of that spread yeah, and they're old birds. Because I mean, then when they get close, they if we do get them in, they come in. So it's like once they get in and go, oh, okay, these this looks pretty cool. Okay, well, I'm good here. We get small bunches. Then it's yeah. fine. But when they flare at 200 yards, it's like, I don't know what else you can do. But those birds are old. I mean, Jonathan shot a, a leg band was, or that collar was what, 98? And that was, was in 2017. 
no, that was two years ago. The band was uh, 98. The Colors are all 18 years old now. Yeah. And these, the, the Roskies are old. I mean, they've been shot at a lot of times. They know the about that. Yeah, I mean, that is a lot. That's a lot of seasons and a yeah. lot of decoy spreads and a lot of shotguns that they've, they've heard. And yeah, and people shooting at them like they're doves or something. They just, yeah, they know the drill. Yeah, well, and I, I, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I got a chance to hunt with a guy that I haven't hunted with in like 15 years. And he has a blind that's right right next to a refuge and the refuge has never had hunting, but now the refuge has hunting. And, um, I, you know, I asked him how he's been doing. He says like, it's the worst season he's ever had that hasn't, uh, hardly killed anything. And I went out there and it, and he was hunting exactly the same way that he was 15 years ago. I mean, literally with the exact same call, not, not the same brand, but literally the same call. And like, he's never even, He's never even cleaned the call. Like, it's just so gross and disgusting, but (laughs) calling exactly the same way. And then, you know, he just put a a blob, and this is duck hunting, and he put a a blob of duck duck decoys, you know, right out in front of his blind with a single spinning wing decoy. And then these birds are just giving us a finger and giving us a finger. And finally, I just said, listen, let me, let me go out and let's pull that spinner. Let's put all the all the ducks along, you know, as if they're feeding along the edge here. And we ended up killing four, four limits. Granted it was, it was green wing teal and pintails, but you know, it just, it just changed pretty dramatically. And it's, it's that it goes to show you how um, imprinted birds can get like on what, what is a decoy spread? Yeah. It was classic spread. That's why, I mean, I, I catch crap for it, but I will string decoys or just put a pod. I don't really string them out. I don't, I don't like that, but I'll put a pod out in the field just counting on the fact that they'll center up over the mass and come in but most people are scared to put out decoys far so if if you have decoys out to me it looks natural as they're coming yeah you don't want them all right in a perfect circle or oval or crescent right in front of your blind i think they recognize that and we've also done it too where these geese will feed up to the edge of some stuff and um they'll they'll be 400 500 geese 10 yards off the bank along the whole length of the field. Yeah. And so we've tried that with decoys too. And then it's the same thing. You might get them to land in front of you. They might go land out in the field. They might go to your left or right hundred yards, but at least it looks realistic and you're not flaring them. And you got to come to the realization that you're not going to get every single flock of geese to come in that flies over. It's just that you're just not going to happen. Yeah. But, um, I think one of the, most- the little, all the little nuances, they make a difference. I, yeah, I was, well, was going to say one of the most important things that everyone needs to remember is, is like, when in doubt, just buy more decoys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, hey, we still have that that too. We do that all the time. Well, I think we need more. We keep buying more and then we keep leaving them at home sometimes. Well, that way you can well. keep spreading them out, but then you can spread them out and put little fingers out here and there in little groups, but still have a big, big mass right where you want them. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that was the, one of the things that we looked at with my drone was when we have 200 birds out, it needs a, it needs a little more mass somewhere. When you run yeah. the mass, yeah. When you do yeah. that. Um, the drone was pretty eye-opening for a lot of things. Yeah, that's that's cool. But then at, like, at that 400 bird number, you, you can do pretty much any spread you want. It can look realistic. You could put a mass where you need it, and you could still yeah. have room to do other stuff. Gosh, we picked those up quick, too. 400 decoys of the new snow. That didn't take long at all to pick that up. No, 400 is practical. Four to 500 is practical, 
easy. If and, you're running a big spread. It still looks good. And that's a, that'd be about as big as I'd ever go. How um, how do you guys manage your decoys? Do you like put them in large large bags or we put them in seed sacks? Seed sacks. We we do beat them up. I mean, they're used. I didn't pay a lot of money for decoys to not to pamper them. We we use them and they they still hold, they they hold, hold up. up well. Oh, good. You know, yeah. I've been I've been meaning to talk to you guys and Dave about this too. There's got to be a better system than the than the seed sack for piling in, you know, large quantities of, of decoys, you know, um, cause I get the whole seed sack concept. You can put 50, 60 decoys in every bag and you know, that sure cuts down on pickup and setup time, but there's just gotta be a better way to not only protect the decoys, but, um, to get them in and out of the trailer because those bags, they bulge like crazy. Yeah. They don't stand up very well. I just feel like if there was some rigidity to the sides, they would square up better and, and store easier in your trailer and probably protect the decoys a lot better that way too. You know, and more handles on them too for guys to mm-hmm. get them in yeah. and out with. I think that's a good project for you guys to come out with a DSD snow goose decoy bag. Yeah, yeah. We have I a prototype that we're working on right now that we can share. That we constructed. Right. We just did it this week. We've been talking on the phone constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah this we constantly are. Had the little, little, the phone two calls. years ago, we were going to um, take an aluminum trailer. You know your little decoy cart, Brad, for your cacklers that you push out in the field. Yep. We were going to build a trailer like that to where we could just throw the decoys in over the top and never bag a single thing ever again. But mm-hmm. I don't have an aluminum welder, and I don't feel like buying aluminum. So um, we're gonna take. I think we're gonna. Well, we're gonna do smaller seed sacks. The I think they're thirty six high by forty eight. They're thirty six square. Oh, thirty six square. And cubed, we're gonna cubed. Cubed. Oh, cubed. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna run PVC around. You know, get it to fit snug inside the seed sack, and then. Uh, Probably should put some bracing and stuff inside there and zip ties. And we're going to see how it holds up. And I think it'll obviously it'll keep the bags open because you and I both know how fun it is to throw snows in a falling seed sack in the wind. It's a oh good my time. God, it sucks. Yeah. It and, sucks. And, and honestly, the seed sacks right now, I feel like are too big because you do get every once in a while you get a decoy that's on the bottom of the seed sack. And it, when it has the weight of, you know, 50 or 60 yeah. decoys on top of it, you'll get, you know, big a big dent on the side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so That's we're a- going to run the smaller seed sacks that our buddy up in Washington runs. And uh, he puts his cacklers in them. He could put 30 snows, 30 to 35 of your snows in a 36 cubed seed sack. And um, we figure if we put in a PVC frame in that, we can now stack them too high. There won't, be, there won't be 60 decoys all on the bottom. It'll be separated because then they're, that PVC frame is going to keep the top sack from weighting down the bottom sack. And when you want to wash the seed sack out, it's going to be easier because it has a frame. And I think that's the lightest way to do it that we could think of right now. Yeah. So we're going to, we're getting that prepared for our five day late season to give it a go. And we're going to wash our decoys, Brad. Yeah, you've got a few <laughs> dirty ones in there. When you get oh into a muddy pasture, it just yeah. Sucks. That one, the when we hunted in that storm, though, you saw the mud. Gosh, it oh was good god, a nightmare for de- white decoys. Miserable. That's the challenge with yeah. white decoys that don't wash themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and what? you can 
you can get away with a lot more dirt on a spec or a Canada decoy. It doesn't show up quite as bad, you know. I'm, but man, yeah, you get a you get a snow goose decoy that that falls on its side in the mud, and oh god, yeah. And, Have you guys and had when any... they get when they get uh, shit on too, you know, you get oh, these yeah. big grinds of, of birds coming in and. You know they're pooping all over your decoys, and I mean one one splat on one of your your white goose decoys, and yeah, then it looks weird. It, it looks yeah, it stands out for sure. That's why I don't like to shoot them because then they get my decoys dirty. <laughs> mm. So uh, I like to just the decoys out. Brad almost had a heart attack. Never called a shot on Saturday. Never called a shot. And oh just... my god! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, why why shoot them? You know, you don't have to. Okay, I gotta tell this story. Okay, Dave, so we're sitting there. Um, it's the last day uh, of our trip, and we have a big grind of snows and, and a few specks build up to the north of us, right? Yeah. They're they're like, I don't know, three-quarters of a mile north of us, <clears throat> and around 10 or so in the morning, we've, we've killed a bunch of specks and a handful of whites, um, but they start trickling back into the refuge, and yeah, it was... Actually, I wouldn't say they were trickling back. They were flying back in groups of 500 to 1,000. And after half a dozen of them or so, um, finally the last big group gets up. And everything before them had completely ignored us. I mean, they were flying, I would say, close to half a mile wide of us was their flight path back to the refuge. And none of them, you know, I mean, you could just tell they were they wanted water. They weren't They weren't interested in feeding at that point. And, and so when the very last bunch got up, you know, I thought, Oh, these are just doing exactly what the rest of, of them have done. They're, they're heading back to water. And, um, you know, next thing, you know, I, I look over and a few birds turn and pretty soon the whole bunch, I'm saying probably a thousand snows has turned and they're coming right at us. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it probably been an hour before we'd shot anything, so we're all, you know, we all have itchy trigger fingers, I guess, except Jonathan. And <laughs> and these things bow up. And I'm talking first pass, we've got... Oh, so there, there was Juvie's yeah. landing first yeah. pass. They were well, 10, there was Juvie's yards. landing, but I'm on the right, and I'm looking at a pod of probably 15 or 20 all-adult snows. <laughs> and they're back-winging over the closest decoys, which puts them, puts them at a max 20 yards. And they didn't stay out of my far decoys. They pushed up to that front edge. They were were starting at like eight yards. Yeah. (laughs) And those geese were close. Kevin and I are just about having aneurysms because we're are we going to shoot? 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 And then we watched in a full-time aneurysm though. Oh my (laughs) God. And then we watched this flock. They did another pass. Oh yeah. Why did did we wait? Why did we wait? I don't. You tell me. You're the one calling Blake, the shot. Our buddy Blake needed a blue. He never shot a blue. He hadn't goose. shot a blue, and there was a blue in there. So and we were Blake waiting for didn't that blue. See it. And then the third pass, I was like, okay, I won't shoot no matter what. Right I'm like, all right, Blake, you're on your own. And the blue shooting, and the blue comes by, and then he doesn't even shoot the blue. Like, he, yeah. But he had never been under a grind of snow, so he was a little, uh, a little enamored at that that yeah. whole process. And we did shoot, and we did fine. I just oh, have faith I, in your decoys, Brad. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do. But every time those birds blew out on us after being right in our face at 15, 20 yards, I thought, oh, they're going to land long because they were so low. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were 
10 feet high, I'd say, the lowest birds. And I kept they kept looking like they were going to go land out in the middle of the field, but they kept coming back around, fortunately. Yeah, I was surprised they didn't shortstop us. Um, the third pass, I was surprised they came back, to yeah. be completely honest. And you know, that's another point with snow geese. Um, if, they, if you have decoys too close, seem, I, at least here, I don't know how it is in Canada or the Midwest or you guys in Montana, I don't know. Uh, but here, when they start landing, if they land between a, like a 20-yard stretch of decoys, you have some time. If they land in the pot of decoys where your decoys are one to two feet apart, you have about two to five seconds. They don't stick for very long. And they long. don't stick. Specs uh-huh. will stick. Specs Cheek will stick. Illusions obviously will stick. Snow geese, Ross geese are worse. They'll touch and hop up. Yeah, they don't even, they don't even stop. White snow geese, like adult snow geese, they, you have about two to three seconds. And a juvie, maybe five to seven seconds. So if that second flock that you're waiting on doesn't hurry their asses up and follow them in, you might blow the whole flock off when they get out of the decoys. Yeah. We've had that happen. And it, it happens. Jonathan hasn't called the shot before. It's happened. I've also not called the shot before. We're both bad. I like to give Jonathan crap, but I'm just as bad for it. It's just so addicting when they do start landing that you try to do it every time. And then by so, hunting – oh, go ahead. Speak, uh, speaking of that, have you guys had uh, some – experiences where you're able to pick out like a special special bird and and kind of make some extra fun that way oh yeah <laughs> that's well, kind of yeah i just some, some of the some some of the highlights what are the, some of the best best ones and best uh best stories of that kind of stuff happening the where it all started was jonathan shot a white collar out of working a, ro- a group of roskies in white collar on a roskies over socks and that was that hunt. We had our blinds at the top end of the spread because we wanted them to land chest into us, you know, like you see in the pictures. It did not work. So we moved our blinds over to the right and shot them on a cross shot. And then as this flock was circling, I just, I was like, oh, there's one of those thingies that Dave and Brad shoot. And uh, <laughs> so I watched this bird all the way around. It comes around again. I say, kill him. And I got it. And, and the most it, awkward shot, we're all laying there like, what in the? We, I mean, we have rock. I heard them say collar ball. Our buddies are like, why we had, are we not shooting? They're all like, what a weird way to they call They were shot. so squared up at every other pass except that one. But on that one, that was when that goose was straight over us. And uh, ended up getting it. And once, once that first one was what kicked it off. Then it's pretty we like, yeah, we could be just like Brad and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, have, did you have some buck fever or anything like that? Like where you were you kind of shaky when that bird was coming closer and everything? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't get he excited until afterwards. Afterwards, afterwards like, I, pretty I have a really good um, like up until I need up until I make the shot. I can stay calm. Whether like I've, it's just always been that way with bow hunting and goose hunting. When I see something, it's like my body instantly just shuts down and I go calm. And then afterwards is when I'm excited and I my voice gives nice. sound like a little girl. And yeah, I don't have. That. I get <laughs> I get a little nervous. I don't know. I don't. I do not shake until after. That was the one that kicked it off. And then, like, the most recent story was, uh, Ooh, that was a these Roskies are not coming in. We finally got them to make a couple passes. He and stayed they came on the like 40, 50 yards, but there was a blue Ross that stayed at, like, 80. And then they left. They went back to the refuge. Later on in the morning, this flock comes back, and I say blue Ross. And they come over us, and Dylan decides that he didn't hear me call the bird. So it was Wink, wink. It was his bird, so he jumps up and shoots, and I'm just like, you, hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, I told him we're even, got, we're even now. We're even now, but he's got two more blue rocks than you me. You talk so. about snipe one from underneath me. Like He's got plenty of blue as rocks. I, as I open my blind, I see him out of his blind, and I'm like, there is no way you're going to do this right now. And then he does, and I'm like, wow, he really just did that. Wow, he, I'm watching this blue rocks that I called. I'm like, well, first of all, he could have called it first, but he didn't. I'm like, this son of a is really going to do this. And he did. But, <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah I know uh, you guys have shot your share bands, but um, you're kind of really well known for your blue Ross because there's not many, not many places where you can, I don't want to say consistently get them, but if you work enough geese, you guys have enough Ross geese down there to where you can get them like every season. Yeah, yeah, we, and, have, um, we have got them every season. I don't know. I, we were in Arkansas and there was a flock of like 30,000 Ross geese. So, I mean, what it tells me is if you work your birds and watch, you can find them. Yeah. Um, it just, guys aren't patient. You know, Brad, you shot your blue ass two years ago, right? Yes. Okay. Um, you just have to be patient and willing to watch, you know, like that. So that blue Ross that we got on uh, Sunday, that was the only bird we, oh, I'm sorry. I shot a speck. So we had like two birds, two single four hours of hunting. Yeah. And like, most people would have had about 15 Roski stacked up and been shooting into those flocks. But we were waiting because that was like our only day of having Roskies fly over that we'd had all year. So we weren't going to ruin it. No, and there's no reason to educate them when they're at 50 yards. I mean, it's if they're not coming in landing and we're looking for, I mean, those Roskies are just heavily leg banded too. I mean, uh, <laughs> I remember when, when Kevin was with us and we we're out in the, out there in that field and he kept seeing leg bands when they were landing and he kept wanting to shoot. <laughs> yeah they they are heavily banded that's that's cool and that's why i really wish they would keep coming in but they don't yeah they don't i mean but if you do get a flock more than likely you're gonna get a leg band on them wow yeah. and and one of the really cool things about um the blue phase ross to me they are they are so spectacular looking i mean they're to me, to my eye, um, they are, they're about one of the prettiest geese there are, you know, they're just that really deep charcoal black color. They're, they're a lot different than a blue phase lesser snow goose. That's a perfect way to describe it, is that charcoal black. That's exactly what they look like. And they have that, um, they have that mohawk, which, which goes up on top of their head and they have a really small white. I guess you would say the, the, the head that the surface area of the white on their head is, is small relative to say a blue phase, lesser snow goose or a blue phase, greater snow yeah. goose where the white tends to come down the neck. Yeah. I've it's noticed like, a blue uh, phase Ross goose just has the white head and then it's got the Mohawk coming up on, on top. This is really cool looking bird. Like an F1 cross, you know, it usually has a more white head down into the neck and they have a grin patch. But a true blue Ross really has no grin patch, vertical bill base, and just a white, like you said, they have the mohawk and then just a white, like on the forward the part of their head. Just, yeah. Yeah, from the cheek patch, more or less, to the to the base of the bill. Like and then they've got the one all the way over the top with yeah. the white. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then also the 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 definition in the tertial feathers in, in the wings is is incredibly more um it, the well-defined than on yeah. a lesser snow goose and we're looking at the my mountain my office right now and 
having a, a blue lesser next to a blue Ross, it really shows that you can really see the difference. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're definitely a cool bird. And so speaking of Roskies, one of the things that is unique about um, uh, you guys is that you actually you actually use a um, a Ross Goose call, or I guess it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a Ross Goose call, but you're using, is that a snow goose call that you've it's tuned a, for Ross it's Goose? A, yeah, it's a snow goose call that I just tuned higher. And then obviously the calling um, vocalizations are different. So on a snow goose call, you bark. And on a Ross call, you peep. So, um, you know, on a snow goose, you're going, oh, oh. And on a Ross, it's just, heh, heh. <laughs> and you always like you you got to make it like an answering sequence so it's uh-huh, uh-huh, and that's just it really gets them to react they really like it oh it sounds so and cool you, it sounds just like those things and you can't finish them and it's not like a mallard feed call that you can finish them to or a spec cluck that you can finish them to but if you hit them on the corners or like when they go over and you hit them you can get them to bank back with it. it's like a it's a reaction call it's like fishing with a jerk bait or something it's just yeah, a reaction exactly with this it's a you're getting them to react. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you guys want to talk about decoying snow geese, and we've killed an hour not really talking about decoying snow geese. Yes, <laughs> please, yes, well, please do. Well, tell us everything you know about decoying snow geese while we've got like three minutes left. <laughs> Two minute drill, go. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, I was just when we were talking about hunting, and like the other day when those snows worked with Brad. That flight, that 10 to 1 flight, that low flight where they're going back to the refuge for water is our best flight when we get them to work the best. And mm-hmm. I, we think it's because that they're not really looking for sound. And like when you're out, when we're out scouting and finding birds and if you watch the geese on the ground, they're not, uh, they're not as loud and as vocal as obviously when they're feeding in the morning. They're not moving as much. And too. they're not moving. And they're just kind of hanging out, getting some green grass to get in get that in their system and um seems like you get a good wad of snow geese first thing when they leave the refuge once they all move off to a field they all follow each other and then when they start hopping around from there is when they're susceptible to a decoy spread yeah i wouldn't say don't get discouraged if the geese are all following the big flock yeah in the morning and they all go uh, they're bad for it here they all go the first flock of a thousand goes out and lands in the safe field and then every single flock after that goes out to them yeah and uh where on the way back, when they jump off, like when we hunted with Brad, they decoy so much better and they don't have to be, it's not so vocal. And especially on the native ground, I mean, we've ran 15 snows with all our specs, 100, you know, 10 dozen specs or five dozen specs and 20 snows. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had our buddy down from Washington and we had a nice grind of about 500 snows coming in land over, what do you have, 25 snows out? Maybe that many. Yeah. And, and we had 40 specs and 25 snows and the fog kind of burned off. And they got off the field they were eating uh, in a pasture, and they were flying back to the refuge, and they just spun. And they worked in perfect. And they probably – we had a whole bunch of those land, and they stayed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just unless, – unless we could use e-collars, I don't think you're going to pull those morning feed birds. They, they want the mass. They want to go where it's safe. They know it's safe. They're going to follow. That's just their, that's their habit. I mean, that's what they do. But, I mean, a lot of our birds, too – I know a lot of Jonathan's collars who shot have been in that 10, 11 o'clock flight. I've never shot one before 9.30. Yeah. And the other thing that I witnessed, I can't prove that they were the same birds, but it sure seems like it, was there was this piece that no one can hunt, and these snow geese would all go land in it first thing. 
and they would all come out and fly over the fields. They'd go back and land. They'd come out and fly over the fields, go back and land. And like I, I was hunting by myself for a whole um, in-between shoot days when we were taking people. And I was just feeling in the meantime with myself and a few decoys just to kind of watch. And these snow geese would just come out, fly the fields, go back. And finally, like a, you get enough geese in the area that they felt safe. And then a flock of juvies would go out and land dead center in a field. And then all the juvies, I mean, I'm, I have my binoculars, I'm watching them. And then juvies and white birds would, would go out. And then all of a sudden, you would see these flocks of like majority mature white snow geese going out to feed. Then behind them would be the Roskies. So it's like they were staging up, waiting for some suckers to go find where it was safe. And then they would follow. They would do that. And um, those are the flocks that you can decoy at that point. Because sometimes having a grind near you is not horrible when they start hopping around. Yeah. You just got to be patient. Yeah, the, the beauty of that whole system is that you don't, you know, it, of course, it's nice to get a giant grind, you know, in the morning and stuff like that. But then if you shoot into that. Yeah, um, yeah educate more more birds and i've i've had a lot of hunting like that where i mean i i had a point where i didn't even go out until i didn't start setting up until nine o'clock in the morning because mm-hmm. i just wanted that, that big flight of birds to go over and then sometimes i'd go out and put out seven seven decoys and i, sh- I shot a few collars doing that and you know had had big big fox land and, and seven decoys you know on the mm-hmm. later in the morning and stuff yeah sometimes they, and i think it kind of messes with their mind when they go out and don't see decoys. And then they see and them on the way back. Even if you hunt the evening, yeah. you know, you sleep in, go get your work done or, you know, whatever you need to do that day. And they all go out and feed and get comfortable and they go back. They, you, you always want to be in like the last safe spot they were in. Yeah. And, um, a guy asked me one time, do I need to get those geese off that field for us? So they come back hungry. I'm like, no, 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 no. Leave them, leave them there. We want it to be as safe as possible when they come back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, you go out in the evening and catch those birds coming back and you get a smaller, slower flight, but it's quality over quantity. Yeah. And then the fog too, we run small spreads in the fog because if you run the whole spread in the fog and they come through the fog and they see 200 white decoys dead silent, they they don't like that. They get out huh. fast. And so we'll run like 10 to 30 decoys in the fog and have specs out because specs aren't as... Uh, they're not white, so they're not as obtrusive to the landscape as a snow goose is. And it's not quite as shocking to see 50 or 60 specks on the ground. And uh, It's like coming through the fog and running into a white building, you know? Yeah. They just, it, it does flare them. because like a big-ass white tent just sitting there. And uh, and we've had plenty of birds decoy. And that's uh, when we hunt in the fog, we're not even hunting an X. It's just a traffic spot. And you call just enough to get their attention. And... Uh, we have had some really, really fun days in the fog. And I know the small spreads work around the country. Um, I know some guys that target adults in Canada and North Dakota. They'll go out with 100 full bodies, and you have to make your spread look like adults. You know, you, yeah. you're putting more. I mean, we set up with family pods anyway. Like, you know, in your main body, we might put flocks of 10 or 20 or 30. And then around that, satellite flocks of three to five, you know. But when you're hunting, if you're going to hunt a smaller spread, you want it to look more like an adult spread of pairs and smaller pods. Especially if you have an X field where the geese are going or near. If they're like, if you're hunting, like the one spot we're hunting last year was a bunch of fields that were all pretty similar in, they're all cornfields. And if, you know, so a small spread, if they're just looking for a white when they're going out there, I mean, there's a decoy's white. I don't, 
Jonathan and I have gotten away from flyers and spinners and every other thing yeah, out so, there. Yeah. If you want to land birds, that's a doesn't, keeps yeah, doesn't them help from at all. But uh, I mean, a snow goose decoy is white. They see it. I mean, back in the day, the guys would put beehives out in the native, um, just north of us in our in the where we hunted ducks at, and the Roskies every day for three years would fly out to those every day, fly out to the white bee boxes, about five hundred of them, and then they would leave, and. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're obviously attracted to white. There's no so there's, motion. They can see. Yeah. They can see the white. Yeah, especially on the right side. I don't think you need motion in white decoys. Small spreads is more realistic. Do you think that that's why you guys are able to decoy them so well because you're white? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except to Kevin, we're not. But Except other than that, Kevin, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> they recognize it. And your last if, name is White. If yep. yes. if your last name would have been Dark, do you think you guys would have specialized more in dark geese? We would have had to. Yeah. There would yeah. be no way we could shoot snow geese over that last name. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, you're just talking about how you're trying to look like a spread of adult birds. So are you saying that it was a mistake for us to come out with a juvie snow? Oh, no. Oh, no. Those juvies are oh, those juvies are really cool. And yeah. They, they add a whole other realm of realism. I think a white, all white spread is too bright. It's just too white. I mean, there's never a flock of... 200 white snow geese in a field. Now the new juvies look great. And you can go out with your adult spread and put your family flocks of five to 10 with, you know, mixed in juvies and adults. And then you can put your satellite pairs around it. You know, I'm if you actually really excited go to small. do that as mix in. Yeah. Cause if you walk, like when you drive to the refuge and mm-hmm. our auto tour route and you watch the adult lessers in the field, there'll be mom and dad and then three or four juvies in front of them walking, feeding and stuff. And I think you start doing that in the field, those geese are going to start recognizing that stuff. That's what we've always done with our spread is those three to f- six bird flocks feeding. But now we can do it with juvies that I, I think the contrast is more lifelike. Uh, yeah. Be like a if lot you go up lifelike. to Skagit all along the roads, because you can't shoot a hundred yard or a hundred feet off the roads up there. The juvie, the gray just around the outside ring of a field, they're just solid juvies. And then out in the middle, you see your adult. So it just, I don't know if it's going to be a big deal or a game changer, but I think those are the differences that get geese to land versus yeah. not. No, you, you get them down to 20 yards flying over, but to do those little nuances in your spread yeah. is what gets them to fully commit. Especially when you can't use an e-call and don't have all that sound. Yeah. Well, that, that's one of the things that really was kind of getting me motivated and inspired when I was working on like the paint job for the juveniles is, it's just the idea that you could, any of our customers or us, you know, could put out a big spread and the whole, it wouldn't be a spread of nothing but pristine white geese, yeah. you know, and yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't have to add like specs or something like that to, to get, to get that, you know. The one day we, we hunted uh, with them, we put out 14 whites and like 40 specs and they landed just fine. I mean, it looked, it looked actually, yeah, we had much more life. I forgot we had two good spins of snows over them that day. It looked much more lifelike than just having the white. Yeah. Right on. Well, then also the, our, our GOVs, we, we kind of have them patchy a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that creates more contest. Whereas a lot of them on the market, I mean, there's some nice ones on the market, but a lot of them are just sort of airbrushed to make them a little bit, you know, a little bit dusky, a little bit darker and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the, a lot of them really are patchy as, as more yeah, mature some feathers are mature and some aren't yet, you know? No, oh, I think they, they do. They, you did a good job on them. Yeah. That's for sure. No, thanks. Yeah. There are, um, people have asked us before if the snows are worth it. 
you're like, oh, do I really need to buy Dave Smith's nose? I'm like, no, you don't have to, actually. You don't. You yeah. really don't need to. What do you hunt at? Oh, you hunt around here? Yeah, don't buy them. Don't, don't buy some socks. They work great. Yeah, socks are the best. Like we always tell Brad, you need to charge more uh, for your decoys because I'm tired of people hunting with them. Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. I mean, and, and uh, you know, if, if everybody had them, they wouldn't be as effective. And so it's it's kind of good in a way that they're not super readily available or super inexpensive. They're worth it. I Yeah. And the longevity of them. I, I just mean, like the guys like, oh, they're not really worth it. And that's like, dude, you've seen like you've seen our Instagram. You know what we do with them. Like, and I know you don't get them that way consistently, but they do help consistently get birds to work. I mean, it, it, it makes a big difference. If you want to finish birds, you want everything in your favor. So you might as well yeah. do your best to do that. Well, it's the same amount of work to put out a, a mediocre decoy as it is a good decoy. Yeah. It's, the only difference is the expense. But once you get over that expense, it's just it's kind like, of, If uh, someone could buy 200 snows, any brand on the market, they could. They say they have enough money saved up to buy 200. They could buy a few less Dave Smiths. I think the realism is worth it. Well, you guys you can see this. What I've learned from that drone is you can see two, you could see 30, 40, 50, 100, 200, 300, or 1,000 in a field. The white sticks out, unless you're hunting in the snow, I guess. But in a, in a field, the white sticks out. So you might as well go realism over quantity. And I mean, like you guys use a spectrometer, you got to go through all that stuff to get the color just right on those snows. And it makes a difference because over the old snows, when you guys would paint your other molds, as snow geese, certain angles when the sun would hit them, they had a they had a weird weird yellow glow, and at that angle the geese would flare. But and then the new ones they they just they, they reflect the light in the right way. Oh, good. Yeah, we approve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you say um, you talk about since they're white, you know, you might as well you might as well get 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 good ones and make sure that the, the color's dialed in and the details are dialed in. But um, a lot of people, that court is sort of what has prevented them from thinking that it, that it really makes much of a difference. And it's why people have thought for the longest, for the longest time that, you know, it doesn't really matter. You, sh- you know, you can't just put out, you know, uh, you know, white bags or diapers and, and paper plates and stuff, just anything white. But, you know, these geese still, they still have excellent vision. And they, they still can see, and you know colors that aren't in the visible spectrum to humans and they they still can can pick their mate out of a you know out of a bunch of a thousand birds and and recognize uh that and so you know to us it's like oh well we see all these geese and we see this big brown field and these dark geese that kind of blend in and now with white geese they're just all white so that's that's the end of it but to to white geese they really are into those little tiny details and those little subtle things that that you know they really do make a big big difference and there's a lot of people that don't don't really grasp that and you know it's probably good 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 for us and you know bad bad for them i guess yeah Yeah. it's amazing that they can see other white birds differently let me tell us you drive by and look at them in a field like damn they all look obviously you could tell the difference between juvies and adults but the adults all look really similar but Obviously, they can pick each other out and stay in the yeah. family group. Like every now and then, amazing. there'll be like a certain goose that you can mark, whether it's in the refuge and it has a net collar, or like there was a juvie snow that was 
bandit that was hanging out with the Roskies or like a hybrid spec that was hanging out with specs. You can, every time they get mixed up somewhere, they end up together in the refuge and they are with those same geese again. Yeah. And it's like, wow, they, they do find themselves right back to where they need to be. Well, and I'm convinced that they know each other vocally too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, to us, they all sound pretty similar. They all sound the same to us, but they can distinguish those little (laughs) subtle subtle differences in their sound, you know? I would imagine to Snow Geese, they probably think we all look the same. Yeah. And (laughs) we we all sound the same, but to us, we can tell the difference, so you know they can. And you know another thing that um, I am completely convinced of, too, is that geese, when they go back to the roost somehow are able to read other geese or communicate to other geese where a food source is oh, because yeah. they're so quickly able to switch over from one field to another field. It's, it's incredible how one day you might see just a handful of birds on like a 12. field. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden there's 5,000 Within 24 hours, you know, yeah. and it's like, how do they just all automatically know? And I'm not talking about, you know, um, them, there being 12 birds in there in the morning and then they follow each other out. They can visually see those birds as they build up out there. I'm talking about like, um, you, you go set up on a field that has 10,000 birds in it one day and then all of a sudden the next morning there's not a single goose that's interested wants to have anything to do with that field and they just all switch their um you know their their flight line to uh, another field that the day before had a handful of birds in it it's like they just automatically they know somehow they know that that's the place to be that day yeah it's like it's like there's there's some excitement or something like that that's yeah and but you know what's interesting um is Brad, you know, you know, Gary Miller, um, out at his duck lake, we've, we've been for the last few weeks, we've been watching birds come in after shooting hours, just to kind of see what, what is coming in. It's just a, it's just corn that's got, uh, about eight inches of water, um, in most of it and some flat patties. And so we'll watch those birds come in till pitch dark and it's about 4,500 4, ducks or so. And then we leave after pitch dark and we'll go, you know, go home and then come back like the next day. And so we finally started putting trail cameras out there on, on video mode. And we're getting big flocks of snow geese on trail camera, walking around feeding in that, in that, in that corn. And that was sort of a surprise to me because, I mean, I've always wondered, like on the Savi Island birds, like they can't stay out on that refuge all the time. They have to feed. And then sometimes it just seems like they never leave the refuge, um, or the, you know, the roost lake. And then here they are coming in and feeding in the pitch blackness of night and leaving before it even remotely gets light the next morning. Mm. So that could be one of the, one of the ways that they're, that they're doing that. But I think that's more of a, a water thing and not so much of a, of a complete, you know, ag land field. I've, we've walked out on snow goose spreads in the morning and there's a yeah. few juvies sitting in there. If we set it out the night before and there'll be juvies in that spread. It's like how there was not a goose in the sky when we set it up. We set it up into the night so that all the geese had gone back to the refuge and you come back and there's three juvies sitting in the spread. Yeah. How the hell did they see it? Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. And I know there are geese up in Skagit night feed. 
because when they get on that pattern, yeah, it's hard Zach to hunt them. Hates when they night feed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do how do you target them at that point? Spotlights. Oh. We open yeah. up night hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're gonna go out tonight at eight, hunt snow geese. <laughs> yeah, sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I was snow goose hunting. There's one area that we hunt that they uh, the snow geese go to the grasslands from the Delta region. Delta Modesto region, they'll go over um, into the grasslands by Los Banos and Gustine, feed at night, and then in the morning when everyone drives out to their clubs with bumps their them off. bumps them off, and in the dark of the morning before the sun comes up, you can hear them all going back to the refuge. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's north. twenty miles north. You can hear them; they go back. Oh yeah, well, that's about like blacktail hunting at that point. Like <laughs> hunting our 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 blacktails, it's just like it's so frustrating because they just will not they will not come out during the daytime. Yeah, it that's it's frustrating. That's what I guess every now and then when I do shoot geese, that's why because I the days where you bust up a hundred of them, it's it's worth it sometimes. When they do that to you and they start night feeding or vacating a field immediately or randomly and. Or bypassing it Or completely. bypassing you the next morning. It's like, all right, you know what? When I do get you, it is going to feel good. When you come in and land, you may get shot on the ground. <laughs> well, that's why the rest of us wanted to shoot that snow goose grind so bad. <laughs> yeah. The plague needed that blue. I mean, snow geese are assholes. You got to kill them they when really you're really are. Oh, my they gosh. Are. Adult snows suck. But even Ross geese are even worse now where we're at. They suck. It's yeah. just so I've hunted with Brad so many times and there's so many times where we just wouldn't even consider shooting. Like I've hunted with Brad several times where we just landed birds all day long and never saw anything that we really wanted to shoot. And, and, uh, and one of the reasons why we hunt together is because we're, we, you know, we kind of get it. There's just, there's only a handful of us that, that do. And, and there's a lot of other people, if we hunted with them, they would just kind of drive them crazy. They just want to be shooting. And so it's kind of bizarre for me to hear Brad, you know, talking about like, oh man, birds are so close. Why can't we shoot? You know. Yeah, I've noticed yeah. Brad's take on snow geese are different than cacklers. Yeah, 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 for sure. And 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 he's snow goose finishing in the decoys. An adult snow finishing in the decoys is is a trophy and a trophy experience. We had yeah. a guy we this year came with us, and um, we had like five thousand snows land. And they just oh, kept landing. They, and they, it was, they just, stuck. That was I, the craziest thing. I trailed thing. out. I, it was weird. Like we put our Lucians out. We put our snow geese out to the right to target Lucians. And then the snow geese started landing in the hole. And then they kept landing because there was no decoys by them oh, where they were landing. Gosh, it was and then crazy. once they started, it just, it was crazy. I've never had that many snows sit down and stay. Other than my, well, other than when I was by myself with my small spread, yeah. I've never had it happen. Because if they land within too many decoys, they will get out. And uh, they just kept coming and, the one guy says, "All right, I get it now. I that's yeah, he was, cool. He's a shooter. He's a he's like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. I get it. I understand why you guys want to land them. He was freaking out the whole time that we didn't shoot, and then once they came in and kept coming in, he he had a whole new respect for it. Like, and who was that? That was, was another guy. That was our buddy from uh, Mississippi, Fresno, and then uh, Ramsey from Mississippi. Ramsey Russell. Ah, yes. Ramsey and John. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and they were just." They were like, all right, that that is pretty damn cool. Uh, John was like, man, I, he's honest. That, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I will, he's, I'll watch him work every time. I don't even care if I shoot. Well, so, he got to yeah, shoot his first blue goose ever. He did get it. Right? Yeah, he, yeah. And then, 28 gauge. 
then he bumps him. It came and landed to my left. And I said, John, it's right off my left foot. And he came up and every other goose got up and the blue goose stayed down. And he was able to he was able to shoot it by itself without flock shooting any other birds. Yeah, we're great. It was yeah. meant to be. Meant to be. And I didn't have to clean 27 more snow geese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that um, I think uh, is kind of a universal rule, I guess you could say, across the board, one of the things I've noticed, successful waterfowl hunters and particularly successful goose hunters, it's been my observation, think outside the box and are willing to do things differently. And you guys would certainly fall into that category. And in California in particular, everybody seems to do things the way everybody else does because that's how everybody else does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you look at rice country in particular. I grew up, by the way. I I got into waterfowl hunting in rice country. And every single club there is exactly the same with just a handful of exceptions. And that is that everybody hunts from a sunken pit in a rice check with like a hundred decoys on either side. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's incredible to me because, you know, like flying into the Sacramento airport, once you get below about 10,000 feet, you can pick out one spread after another. So what do you think you see it? Yeah. I mean, you know, the snow geese are recognizing it. Yeah. If we're seeing it and we drive up there through there three times a year, you know the snow geese that fight every day are recognizing where the spreads are. I wish the and, state had a law uh, about leaving out spreads. Like I want it to be illegal to, to leave your decoys. You have to be in day. your decoys, or you have to pick them up. That would be a great yeah. law, I think. But that's I'm not socialist, but that's one law that I want. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I always kind of feel like some of that stuff ha- kind of helps me. It just sort of eliminates a whole bunch of hunters. And, and <laughs> it whole, does, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Dave. It does. It does eliminate those guys as like well. A lot of guys, like you said, like uh, they want to do it the same because they see how other people are doing it and they think they're killing them. And um, I don't know. What was I mean, it? Uh, De Tocqueville said Americans want to be like other Americans. There's just like an affinity to be like everyone. So as long well, as everyone wants to hunt snow geese the same way, we'll keep doing it different. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, to, to more to Brad's point about you guys is you guys are willing to take chances. And that's one thing is, um, and that, that kind of goes with shooting neck collars or shooting, a, you know, a blue face Ross or anything like that is you have to be willing to take chances. And, and, uh, you can't just, you can't just always want to shoot the first time birds come remotely in range and you have to be willing to, well, if we, uh, we didn't shoot, but we didn't, we didn't get a, land yeah. them or finish them or anything like that and you have to be okay with that you know? yeah. our taxidermy wool is starting to look pretty cool now that we can afford to mount them and we've had enough trophies that it's starting to add up like it look, it looks pretty good and people are like man how'd you get all that and it's like watching by not shooting geese is how we've shot these geese yeah, yeah. that's a right. harder concept for people to get and i mean success comes through failure i mean god i we have failed so many times hunting and it's just like and i have a couple friends that are just as crazy as we are in trying new ideas to see if they work that we pick it up and say, well, it didn't work today. Try it again tomorrow. Well, and that's always good when you have a network of friends. If, if they're, if you've got other people that are willing to try new things and take chances and then they share information that helps a lot too, you know? Well, there's only, there's only two of them that are crazy as we are that want to help us do that. 
<laughs> yeah, the network doesn't go very far on that end. <laughs> and well, it's really hard to hunt like that with multiple people. I mean, really, the smaller the spread. Like Brad and I had this conversation about hunting for trophies. It's like someone going out and picking out a mule deer, spotting this buck, watching it all summer before the season, patterning it, game cameras, the whole nine yards. You've been watching it for months, and then you have someone else come shoot your buck. It's like it. You kind of go out to keep your circle small because there's only so many trophies out there. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work and a lot of money to just let everyone shoot your stuff. Or your brother swipes it out from underneath. Yeah. One of the two. The good, the good news is it takes a certain kind of personality. Like there's some people that just absolutely just can't do it. And it's just like, you know, the guys you talk about, you know, you talk about tree stand hunting or sitting in a ground blind or whatever it is, you know, for, for antelope or whatever. They're just like, you know, I just can't, I just can't do it. I can't sit. I got to be on my feet or whatever. And it's like, that's why well, I move decoys. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. Well, and, and everybody wants to shoot the trophies, but n- nobody wants to put in the time and the effort and have the patience mm-hmm. to get them. You know, I mean, I've heard countless people be like, man, I just want to, I just want to shoot a net collar so bad, you know, just one, you know, and then you start yeah. saying, okay, well then you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to, you know, you, you got to be patient. You got to go out, you got to find one. First of all, it's not yeah. like they're everywhere. And then, um, and pretty soon they're like, oh, and yeah. it quickly, and, and then you got to hunt by yourself or only with a small select group of people who's on the same page. Yeah. And then you've just eliminated 99% of them at that point. It's the same reason why people don't shoot monster deer every year. They don't want to do the work. It's the same thing with goose hunting. We're, they don't. we're big buck hunting geese. Yeah. Well, and the, the hardest part about shooting a big buck is you have to let a bunch of little ones go. And that is the pro- problem that everyone has. Yeah, it is. And people and don't realize. I, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was, I've, I've always said about geese is you learn so much more from geese and ducks by not shooting them than you do by shooting them. Yeah. Last year when I was by myself with a very small spread, I mean, I'm talking people wouldn't believe how small of a snow goose spread I was running. Um, I learned so much. It was actually amazing to see geese decoy over fake decoys after watching how they act over live birds. Like when you're sitting there in a ground or in a, in a layout and geese are landing at 10 yards from you, feeding up to your blind, and there's now 10,000 birds in a field right in front of you, and you see geese coming in from the refuge, they do not circle. You know, over a snow goose spread, if you can get three passes out of them, that's a lot. You're doing really well. Yeah. If they don't land on that third pass, they've probably picked out that something's not right and they're leaving. And so, but then you watch them over live birds. It's first pass, they're landing. I mean, they're not even, there's no doubt in their mind that it's safe and they're coming in. I mean, it was just, it made it more acceptable for me when we do fail because there's no way to emulate that many live geese. Yeah. Between just, the sound and the motion and the yeah, number. Yeah, exactly. I told Brad on the phone after um, a couple of days of this, I was like, I don't even understand why they come to plastic decoys if they can recognize live birds like that. It was just, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, they acted so dumb over those, and why the hell would they keep coming into plastic decoys? I don't know. <laughs> I've thought that exact same thing so many times. You know, so they could be so smart, but then again, their brains are still only the size of a thumbnail or something. Yeah, yeah. Or a and then they still make us look foolish sometimes. Yeah, and then yeah. they can totally screw you over, and you're and like, they can totally make you feel dumb. Sometimes you give them too much credit, and then other times you don't give them enough. Yep. Yeah. They're geese. 
Yeah, that's a fun. It's a fun game. Thank God that that, that we get to uh, still still enjoy it, and that you know what a cool invention the goose and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you well, guys, it's been great to catch up with you guys, and and we sure appreciate your insight and sharing information and all that stuff. Yeah, no problem. It was fun being on here. And uh, yeah, we should all, maybe all get together and go hunting sometime. At some point, you will have to make that trip down with Brad. He comes the last weekend every year. If you were to paint a blue, if you were to paint a blue Ross, you could actually just yeah. jump in the truck. If you them. brought a blue Ross decoy with you, that'd be really cool. Okay, yeah, we could do that. You're about four years late on the Roskies, but we'll find something here to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, like Dave said, thanks again, guys, for, for joining us, and we'll have to do it again. Oh, you yeah. bet. It's always a pleasure. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of DSD Hunting Podcast. Um, we really appreciate you helping us grow this podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or even just share on social media. Uh, that goes a long ways. We'd love the chance to keep bringing fresh content. So if you don't already, follow us, Dave Smith Decoys, on Instagram and Facebook for updates on new episodes. We'll have opportunities for customers to get involved, too, with the conversation and ask questions. So keep an eye out every Friday for new episodes. And thank you so much for all your support and for listening to us.